Bible Interact is a group of Bible scholars and biblical archaeologists who promote the Hebraic nature of Scripture and view the two Testaments as one unified message. They explain how they use a first-century approach to searching the Scriptures, and they share their methods and discoveries for discussion and dialogue. They invite your comments and participation on BibleInteract.tv, where you can also find more teachings, self-study quizzes, webinars, and interviews. Shalom. I am Dr. Ann Davis of Bible Interact, and I want to talk today about something I said once to a friend of mine, a colleague of mine, and it touched her heart in a special way. I've been thinking about that, so let me let me share that with you. I told her that we have in part now what we will have in full at some time in the future. Now, I'm not sure whether she was captured by the in part or the in full, but there are two points in here. Number one, whatever is future, we have it. We don't have it 100%, but we have it. Everything, everything that is future, we have it in part. The other aspect of that statement says that whatever we have now, and you look around at what you have now, it's going to be completely full at some time in the future. Now, this precipitates a lot of questions. What is it that we have now, in part? What is it that we will have in full at some time in the future? I'm going to answer that question with some examples. And I want to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit that we have in part now. But whatever we have now, however you are walking by the power of the Spirit now, will be in the future, just at a greater extent. And then I'm also going to talk about the New Covenant, because the New Covenant is another example of of something that that we only have in part now. It has not replaced the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. It's just a more advanced ability to operate the Old Covenant, which is the law, but it, it, it isn't completely full yet. But if you understand what you have now with the New Covenant, you'll be able to peer into the future about what you will have at, at some time in the future. All right, let's, let's just do this. There, there are two points here that I want to make first before we can continue on with these examples, which are probably very confusing in your mind. <laughs> so let me give you these two principles. The first principle is that you simply have to think with a Hebraic sense of time. The Greek sense of time are points on a line. So if it happened in the past, it's over and done with. We can only access it by memory, perhaps, or by history books or oral history, something like that. But we can't go back in time. It is impossible to go back in time. And the same thing with the future. We can access the future by our imagination, but we can't move forward into the future. It can't happen in the Hebraic sense of time. We can only live for the moment. The Hebraic sense of time is very different. First, let me explain that in the Bible you see two senses of time. You see the points on a line. You, you, you see things happening in some sense of chronological order. However, there is another second aspect of time that is a time with God. So that you get, you get the Bible kind of moving back and forth between these two periods of time. The, the Hebraic sense of time that is related to God, I like to explain that as... God created time, and therefore he is in time. Now stop and think about this for a minute. To the extent that you are with God, you are with him in all 
aspects of time. If you are not with God, then you're only on a point on a line. (laughs) But God is eternal. You know, he has no beginning. He has no end. So he is in the beginning with the creation. He is in the end with the end of times. He is now. He is in all aspects of time. Now, when are you with God? You are with God when you are walking by the Spirit. That is when you are with God. You are one with God. Now, that doesn't happen all the time, and it may only happen from time to time. But it is possible to be one with God now. And when you are one with God, you are with Him in the creation. You are with Him in the end of time. You are with Him at the time of the Exodus. You are with him at the time of the second coming of Yeshua. You are with him in all aspects of time. Now that sounds very confusing to those of us who have grown up with the, with a Greek sense of time. So let me just keep going here. Because the second point I want to make is that prophecy of something future is not like Greek points on a time, on a line. We think of, of prophetic words and then they're fulfilled. But... In Scripture, you can have multiple fulfillments. Take, for example, the Exodus. The children of Israel were in bondage in Egypt. God rescued them from that captivity. They were then in bondage in, in uh, Babylon, and he rescued them from that captivity. Are we in bondage now? We're in bondage to the sin. To, to sin, God is going to rescue us from that. Um, there, let's see, l- let me show you also about um, another example is the Passover. There was the Passover in Egypt when death passed over the blood of the Lamb. That points to a second fulfillment, which is Christ, when death passed over him um, and, and God raised him from the dead to life. But Passover is still celebrated in the Millennial Kingdom, which means it's still future of something still beyond the Millennial Kingdom. The same is true with Sukkot. Sukkot is worshipped in in, uh, the Millennial Kingdom. It's still pointing to something future. So this is all part of the Hebraic sense of time. When God is in time, he's in all, all aspects of time. Another example I can give is the uh, celebration, the annual celebration of the Passover by by Jews, by the people of Israel. And they are living the Passover in Egypt, and they are saying next year in Israel. So they bring a past event into their lives now so that they can recognize that God rescued them from bondage and is in the process of rescuing them from bondage and delivering them into the land of their inheritance. So we have two things we're thinking about here. Uh, We're thinking about the Hebraic sense of time, where God is in time, and we will be with God in all aspects of time if we are one with him. And then we're looking at multiple fulfillments. So we see something that has been fulfilled, but it may be pointing to something still future that hasn't yet been fulfilled. Now, how does this relate to my statement that says we have in part now what we will have in future at, at, at some time? Well, I'm going to take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 2. This is a very famous verse that you're all going to recognize. Now we see in a mirror dimly. Who do you see when you look in a mirror? 
you see yourself. All right? You see yourself. But God created you in his image. Do you see the image of God in yourself? Only dimly. And it continues. But then face to face. Now face to face is an expression in the Hebrew scriptures that means you are face to face with God. You are in his presence. So you look in a mirror dimly now and you're you're partly righteous. You have the Holy Spirit that allows you to be righteous in part. You have the promise of eternal life in part. Now, you're going to get it in full in the future. I'm not saying you have to do good works to get there. You don't have to do good works to get there. But you're, you're not... You can be one with God in part, but you can't be one with God in full. Now, you look in a glass dimly and you see yourself as, as, as moving toward righteousness, but not fully righteous yet. And then... Um, and, but at some time in the future, you're going to be face-to-face with God. You're going to be one with him. There will be no sin. You will be fully righteous. You will be one with him. And then it goes on about what we know. And it says, Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, just as I also have been fully known. So then, that again has to know with 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 how much God is making it available for us to see now. So, you know, it's talking about two things. It's talking about a condition of righteousness, which we have in part now. And it's talking about what we know about what God is doing. And we have it in part now. So, let's focus now in here on, on the Holy Spirit. There are passages in the New Testament that make it sound like this gift of the Holy Spirit gives you everything. You know, it gives you power, it gives you eternal life, it gives you one with God, it gives you, you're, you're a child of God, you have everything now, you know, because you believe. You believe you have the Holy Spirit. Well, yes, you have every single one of those things in part. Every single one in part. But the way the New Testament words it, it words it as if you have it in whole. But that's part of biblical language. The biblical language encourages you to believe it. If you believe it, you can walk in it. So that what you have in part now, you can actually walk in it from time to time, every once in a while. And when you do, you are one with God. When you do, you are righteous. When you do, you are walking by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the statements in the New Testament make it sound like you have everything in full now, but in fact, that's a, it's a form of encouraging language. Let me give you some examples. In Philippians 4.3, it says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Well, of course, Christ and, and, and the Holy Spirit is our guide that guides us into all truth. And Christ is our Lord. When we submit and obey him, it says we can do all things. Well, folks, ask yourself, can you do all things now? <laughs> you know, are you completely without sin? Are you totally righteous? Are you walking by the power of the Holy Spirit every second of your life? No, of course not. And yet it says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It, it, they're words of encouragement. And, and you can do those things in part. There's another one I picked up here from uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 13. It says, when the Spirit of truth comes. Now, has the Spirit of truth come? Yes, it has. It came on the day of Pentecost, and it is made, made available to all believers in Christ through their faith in Christ. 
So God, who is holy, God, who is spirit, that nature of God was in Christ, and he was reconciling the world unto himself. So God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. So whatever the nature of God was, holy and spirit, was in Christ. Those of you who believe in Christ have Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the, the spirit of truth has come to those with faith in Christ. And it will guide you into all the truth. Now, that has happened. The spirit of truth has come. It has happened. You have the spirit of truth, which is the Holy Spirit. You have it. It will guide you into all the truth. Let me ask you, <laughs> do you know all the truth? I hope you said no. <laughs> No, you don't know all the truth yet. The spirit of truth will guide you into all the truth. You have that in part. But when it guides you into truth, you are walking in righteousness. You are one with God. And you have it in part from time to time. All right, let's talk now about, um, let's see. Let me do a little bit more with walking by the spirit. And then we're going to get to the new covenant if we have time. We'll see. Uh, I want you to turn to Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. This is a very powerful passage where Paul talks about walking by the Spirit. And I want you to keep in mind that this walking by the Spirit is available to you now. It is available to you when you are one with God, when you make Yeshua Lord, you submit to Him, obey to Him, and your faith and love of Him activates the law that is written on your heart. All right, we're going to see that in the New Covenant. That the New Covenant, the law is written on your heart. That's what it says about the New Covenant. But let's talk about the, the walking by the Spirit in Galatians. So we're in Galatians chapter 5, verse 18. If, oh my goodness, we've got an if. If, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Well, when are you led by the Spirit? You're led by the Spirit in part from time to time. And when you are, you're not under the law because you're walking in the ways of the law. And how do you walk in the ways of the law? By your faith and love of Christ. You don't have to put 613 laws in your head. You've got the law written on your heart. We'll see that with the covenant. But then, that's verse 18. If you drop down to verse 25, you've got this walking by the Spirit again. This is um, an ancient form of language called, technically in the academic world, it's called an inclusio. So those, those two verses include what's in the middle. So the, the second one is in verse 25. The first one is in verse 18. Let me repeat verse 18. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Verse 20 says, 25 says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Now, what's in the middle? This is an inclusio. What is in the middle? In the middle are two parts. One is when you're not walking by the Spirit, and the other is when you are walking by the Spirit. That's essentially what's in the middle of this inclusio. And so, first of all, when you're not walking by the Spirit, it says, and it's it, actually it's a linguistic uh, device of hyperbole, which is extreme exaggeration to make a point. It says, now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are, are you ready? 
immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. And then it goes on to say, you that uh, those that practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. What that means is not something future. It means that you will not be walking in the ways of the kingdom. When you walk by the Holy Spirit, you are bringing the future kingdom into your life now. That's really what it's talking about. And then it goes on. There's a but, which means here comes a contrast. And now we go on about the fruit of the Spirit. Now, this is not hyperbole, uh, but it's in clusters of three, which... These characteristic of the Hebrew scriptures, and I just read um, um, a dissertation by one of my graduate students who points out the two or three witnesses, and there are clusters of three all over scripture, and he says those clusters of three confirm, they're witnesses that confirm what whatever God is saying. So we've got clusters of three here. We have love, joy, peace. Then we have patience, kindness, goodness. Then we have faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no, no law. The point I want to make is what we have in part now, we will have in full at some time in the future, but we can bring it into our lives today in part. We can bring it in, in our lives uh, from time to time. Um, and I hope you do. Now, I want to take a look at the New Covenant because that's another example of how we have now in part what will be in full at some future time. The prophecy of the New Covenant that is uh, uh, cited in the New Testament is in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. I will make a new covenant. Now, Christian theology has tended to think that they're two separate covenants. They're not two separate covenants. The first covenant is the law that God gave to Israel at Mount Sinai. The new covenant is simply an, an expansion or acceleration of the what's called the old covenant. It's the same covenant, but look, look what it is. Okay, this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. And I'm now in, in Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 33. I will put my law within them and on their heart I will write it and I will be their God and they shall be my people. So the new covenant is simply the what's called the old covenant, the law that is written on your heart. And Paul explains that we can activate that, that law written on our hearts through our love and faith of Christ. We submit to him in obedience, we make him Lord in our lives, and, and, and we just, we become so, so one with our Lord Yeshua that, that the law that is written on our hearts, we actually walk in it. And the same thing is with the walking by the Spirit. Um, they're, they're connected. The, 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 new, the, the, the covenant, the law that is written on your heart, when you, when you activate it by your love and faith in Christ, you are walking by the Spirit. And when you are walking by the Spirit, you are walking in the ways of the law. When you are walking by the Spirit, you're walking by the ways of the law, you are walking in righteousness and you are one with God. Now that is going to happen in full at some time in the future. 
Uh, we call it eternal life, uh, but there's so much theology wrapped up with eternal life. Um, I, I, I try not to. I try to get away from the concept of being saved and eternal life. You need to, as 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 we say, stand on the promises. Know that you belong to God by your faith in Christ, or in, in my way of thinking, and this this is my own interpretation from my search of the scriptures, I am fully convinced that all Jews belong to God also. Even if they don't believe in Christ, they didn't believe in the coming of Christ, they belong to God. Now, are they going to bow the knee at some time before Yeshua? Yes, they are. Uh, but there's a lot that we can't see. There, There's a lot after the millennial kingdom, before the great white throne judgment, that we can't see. It's hard to see it, by the way. <laughs> And uh, as I see it, if God tells me I can disclose it, I will disclose it in these in these radio programs. So, so what we have in, in part now, we will ha- have in full at some time in the future. This also applies to the uh, to the parables. In the parables, we read over and over again, "The kingdom of God is like." Now, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are the same things. Um, the kingdom of heaven is used in Matthew and is probably to avoid saying the sacred name of God. But they mean the same things, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. That is something future. But in the Hebraic sense of time, you can bring it into your life now if you walk the way all these parables are teaching you to walk. The kingdom of God is like, and then it goes on with a parable and a story. Um, I've I've written a book. I I hope you've taken a look at it. It's um, available on Amazon. It'll give you a little summary. I think it gives you maybe a couple of the chapters or something like that. Where uh, the name of the book is Uncovering Mysteries in the Parables with Haggadic Midrash. Haggadic Midrash simply means um, a commentary on something in the Hebrew Scriptures. So my suggestion, and I think I have proven it in the book, is that every single parable, I take 20 parables, every single, and there are 27 or 28, something like that. So I do enough to make my point that every single parable is a commentary on something in the Hebrew Scriptures. So if you don't know what it's connected with in the Hebrew Scriptures, you're not going to get the point of the parable. But in every case, the parable is encouraging disciples who are disciples, they're simply followers of Yeshua who are committed to obeying and following him. That's all they are. Um, And, you know, there are disciples among us today. They're not fancy people. They're not elevated people. They simply have a heart for God and have committed to, to obeying and following him. That's all. And so the parables are written to those people, not to everybody, but to those people who really, truly want to Bring the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven into their lives now. That's the, the, the whole purpose of the parables. The kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of heaven is like. We go back now into, um, I want to end now with, with, the, with the power of the Holy Spirit. We, we hear that we are baptized with the Holy Spirit. Water baptism washes away sins. The Spirit washes away sins. There's another baptism of fire, which is going to wash away sins also at some time in the future. I won't get into that. Just focus on being baptized by the Holy Spirit means to wash away sins. You remember that the Holy Spirit would guide you into all truth. If it's guiding you into all truth, it's washing away sins because when you know the truth, you you can walk in that righteousness. 
It also says that we receive the Holy Spirit. We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When you receive it, you've got it. It's there, but you have to activate it. And you activate it again by your love and faith in Christ. And then Paul talks about the power of the Holy Spirit. And the power of the Holy Spirit is when you are walking in righteousness, you are walking by the Spirit. And believe me, that is incredible power. It's not power in the worldly sense. It's really power in the spiritual sense. But that power in the spiritual sense has a whole lot more power in it than, than the power of the world. I want to leave you with this little thought. What we have in part now, we will have completely in the future. And what we will have completely in the future, we can have now, even though it may be in part from time to time and not in full. With that, I wish you Shalom.